Thank you, Paul. I was encouraged to hear this morning, we had a a really nice time of sharing, uh, led by Pastor Miguel for the uh, huddle before service, and uh, Paul was sharing, we were talking about how we've been reached by Christ, like who shared the gospel with us, and Paul's family uh, was reached by a missionary, and it was Taiwan, Paul, was that right? In Taiwan, so his grandmother was reached by a missionary from the West, and so that's going to be what I want to talk about today is the work of missions. Before I jump in, though, some of you may have been noticing I'm wearing a mask, and so if you could just pray for the Nunez family. They are all sick and not here today, and I'm starting to feel a little, like, buildup start to happen. Uh, so I will be wearing my mask after service, so come talk to me at your own risk. You are, <laughs> you are fairly warned. Uh, but, you know, last week we got under the hood of the Corinthians because Paul gave them instructions to uh, get their giving in order for a collection to the poor of Jerusalem. And as we learned from 2 Corinthians, Paul had to write a second letter because they struggled. They struggled to get that giving together. And so Paul has to kind of masterfully, wisely, but firmly kind of uh, give them gospel motivation for their giving. Uh, But what we want to do today is get under Paul's hood a little bit and find out what is going on in his life and in his soul, because what what we're seeing him talk about in this passage is his plans to visit the Corinthians and his desire for them to help him on his way along with Timothy. And so when I looked at this passage, I said, this is the work of missions. Paul is a missionary, and it is good for us as a church to explore and have a category for this kind of work as a church. I think lately the idea of missions or missionaries has maybe um, decreased a little bit in the church, partly because there's been, a, I would say, a good movement to remind the church that we're all, in a sense, missionaries. We're all called to bring the gospel to our neighbors and to the people around us. And so, we're, in a sense, we're all missionaries. But the downside of that can be that we lose a sense of the unique calling of the missionary who crosses cultures, who has to be sent out by the church in a unique way. And that's the kind of missionary um, calling that I want us to think about today. I think it's a special calling, a unique calling that um, the church needs to get behind. Now, I personally was saved because of a missionary with Campus Crusade for Christ went on to the college campus. So call it, right? So when you think of the college campus, there's a unique culture and rhythm to the college, to being in college. And so it's helpful for someone to get into that culture, step into those rhythms, and create opportunities for people to hear the gospel in their own context. Right, And so like when I, I actually went on staff myself and became a missionary to college students. And so there's this picture of me with my shirt off and I have a big S on it for Spartans because I was a 30-year-old man with a kid at home, but I had to go to the football game <laughs> with these college students and cheer for the Spartans. That's being a missionary, right? I'm getting into their world. Um, and so, uh, so we want to be able to support this work. So missionaries... 
are, are the work of the Spirit to raise up people of faith who want to go into a different culture and raise up gospel movements that connect and reach that culture. And it requires a special work. It requires a special conviction. And it requires a, uh, a level of trust in the Lord and also support from, from local churches. And so that's what I want us to learn about today and get our hearts united around this kind of work And I think for us, what I hope we get out of this is that, first of all, yes, we want to be supportive of missionaries. And so I hope that as we see Paul wanting this church to do, that we would also be eager to help missionaries along their way. Secondly, I hope that God might spark uh, members of this church to be missionaries. And so we need to talk about it. And God might meet you right where you're at, maybe not today, I don't know, but it's a seed that he may water over time. And finally, Missionaries often are powerful examples for us to follow of a life of faith. And Paul is often telling, calling churches to be imitators of me. When he says that, he's saying, being imitators of me, a missionary. And so I love uh, being able to uh, have missionaries come and share with us and be with us. And they are are great examples for us to follow. So we're going to do two things here. We're going to look at the heart of a missionary. And then we're going to look at the work of hospitality that the church can show to missionaries. So we're going to look at the heart of a missionary. And I'm going to identify three aspects of what I see as the heart of a missionary. So starting off here in verse 5, Paul says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. And so just for context here, you know, Paul is speaking about going on a journey to the Corinthians in Greece. He's going to go to Macedonia, which is right above Greece. So just if you can think geographically. Um, And so he plans to go up to Greece. That's Thessalonica. Uh, We get the Philippians in that area. He wants to go visit them, come down to Corinth. Um, And this is known as his third missionary journey. Uh, so he goes on a, his third missionary journey, and, uh, and then he ends up going on a fourth journey to Rome. It's not often referred to as a mercenary journey because he's a prisoner. He's taken to Rome, but Paul actually already wanted to go to Rome. So uh, the Holy Spirit got the last laugh on that one. So he goes to Rome, and it's, this, in this, it, it, it's his intention to go on this journey to Macedonia, to Corinth, this third missionary journey. Um, that I want to look at for our purposes, we get some insight into his decision to take this trip. So Paul's alluding to this trip that he's going to go on, and he does go on it. And listen to how Luke describes what happens to Paul and how this decision gets made. This is Acts 19, verse 21. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia, that would be where Corinth is, and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So here Paul is making a decision that he must go and take this trip that must end in Jerusalem and eventually Rome. He resolved to do this, and then we get this phrase, in the spirit. Resolved in the spirit. 
Now that word resolved is a very common Greek word, tetheme, which often is referred to a decision that is made inside somebody's mind or heart. So for example, in Luke uh, 21, same author using this, uh, using this verb, settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. So it's very common, almost it's used all the time to, to, as a verb to describe a decision you would make very normally inside your own mind and in your own heart. And so what grabbed my attention was how Luke says this time it was made in the spirit. A decision that was made in the spirit. And so I thought we have to look at this. What kind of decision is this? And why is it important for missions work and for us as a church to understand this kind of special decision? So I'm gonna do a little meditation on this idea. A meditation means I am putting together the pieces of what, I mean, Luke doesn't say he resolved in the spirit, parentheses, and here's what I mean by that. We have to put the pieces together. So follow along with me of what this means. So resolved in the spirit, I'll give you a definition. Resolved in the spirit is a unique, unique kind of decision whereby a person makes a personal commitment in concert with the person and power of the Holy Spirit, whereby the Spirit guides you and empowers you for a special work of God. And so I'm going to break this down. I start off with the definition. Let's break this down. First of all, this is a unique kind of decision. I don't think this is the regular way Christians make decisions. Okay, so I'm saying that this is a rare kind of decision that leads to life-changing action. So it's going to be rare. And part of the reason I say this is it's only used once. Paul makes all kinds of decisions. This is his third missionary journey, by the way. He already made two decisions. And yet here, it's described as being resolved in the spirit. And so it I'm saying it's kind of unique. I don't think we should regularly be saying to each other, I have resolved in the spirit to do A, B, and C. That's generally not how we should be thinking or talking. And yet it can happen. And when it does, we need to be ready for it. And so I want to avoid kind of the glamour and clamor of overly spiritualizing our decisions. This is a unique and powerful work of the spirit and rare and rare. Now, how rare, it's hard to say, but because I'm viewing it as a kind of life-changing decision, you know, I'd say that's, that's got to happen maybe once or twice in a believer's life. I don't want to put a limit on it, you, but you see what I'm saying? Like, let's, let's see what kind of decision this is. Now, I hesitate to say it would even happen to all believers, although because of this is the work of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit indwells all believers, I think we should be open to the fact that this is not just for full-time vocational missionaries. This is something that God can do in any one of us. That this kind of resolve to accomplish his work. So it's a unique kind of decision. It's also a personal decision. So 
Notice that the, what, what Paul's, what's happening in Paul is his agency is fully engaged. This is not God controlling us. This is Paul's own agency. This would be your own agency that the Spirit is working with. And so we know that Paul was already eager to work with the poor in Jerusalem. right? So when he began his missionary journeys, the church in Jerusalem, Peter and, and the other apostles, they gave Paul permission to go do his missions work, and they said, would you remember the poor? And Paul said, I was already eager to do that. It was already in his heart. The churches in Macedonia and Achaia are churches that he's already close to. He's already anxious about them. He already wants to see them. And so what we have here is Paul clearly already has a heart for the things that he's resolving in the spirit to do. He already has a heart for it. So what we have is a picture of the Holy Spirit activating those good and holy passions and giving uh, into a resolution to act. So good and holy passions, integral to the nature of the person and believer already, yet now imbued with spiritual power to act on that. So that's, what I mean by a personal decision. It's a decision that is in concert with the power and person of the Holy Spirit. So what I think that means is that this kind of decision to follow, to make a decision in the power of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of a life that is walking with the Holy Spirit. In other words, this is a decision for those who have already made a practice of giving their lives to God. This is somebody who um, has given their life to the rhythms of faith and repentance, to prayer, to obedience, to fellowship, to doing good works. And so listen to Paul talking to Timothy. He says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So this kind of decision is, I believe, for those who have cleansed themselves through walking with God and the power of their faith in Christ. They have embraced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. They have embraced that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, and so they are committing to live for Jesus, not in sin any longer. They have committed themselves to the people of God, and God takes someone like that and says, I'm gonna go further than you could imagine. But this isn't for someone who is just doing their own thing, living their own life, and all of a sudden they're going to resolve in the spirit to do this. And that's not how I think this works. This is somebody who is already walking in the spirit, and God uses that and activates them in a special way. And so, secondly, this kind of decision, when I say it's in a, it's uh, in concert with the Holy Spirit, it's not only means that somebody is walking with the Spirit, but the decision itself must be in, the, in agreement with the Holy Spirit's own agenda, right? So therefore, it cannot be a decision that does not align with God's expressed will. So I know that's a double negative, so you're like, what did you just say? Um, 
So what I mean is, um, it's the kind of decision that anybody who knows scripture would fully support. That you could draw a straight line between this kind of resolution and the biblical commands of scripture. So for example, I don't think you can resolve in the spirit about who to date or who to marry. The Bible doesn't command those things. It says they're good. It's not going to tell you who to do that with. So I, we should not say I've resolved in the spirit to date this person or marry this person. You need to resolve that. I resolve that. I resolve to marry Jamie. I would not say I resolved in the spirit to do that. That's not the kind of decision we're talking about. You cannot resolve in the spirit to travel the world. I'm going to go see Rome and London and then Hong Kong. Those are good. You know, go for it, right? Don't resolve in the spirit to do that. That's not what that means. Any unbeliever would be happy for you to do those things and go with you. So we're not resolving in the spirit to do those kinds of works. <clears throat> so, and lastly, it, it, if you're gonna resolve in the spirit, um, it's gonna be constrained by your commitments to your immediate family. I, I feel like, this is an important part to say because sometimes when we get excited for the work of God, we leave our family in the dust. If you are married, God calls you to care first for your family. So I can't just pick up and tell my family, hey, you know what? I got a dream. We're going to India. We're going next week to do missions. I can't do that. That's not fair to my family. If I were going to do such a trip, it would be over a long period of prayer and consultation with others so my family can get on board. I'm not gonna resolve in the spirit to work 70 hours a week for the sake of the church and neglect my family and neglect people I love. So we don't resolve in the spirit to neglect the immediate call of God on our lives with the, with the commitments he's given us. <clears throat> and just to say what I'm saying positively, if we're going to resolve in the spirit to do something, it's something God clearly calls all believers to do. It's going to be something that involves loving the lost, building up the church, caring for the poor, giving to the saints, preaching the gospel, maybe a kind of spiritual discipline or fasting. So this is a decision that is in concert with the power and person of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, it is guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit for a special work of God. So I think this is what makes it special. This is what gives it its unique energy. In other words, God is going to call you if you make this kind of decision, you're going to do you're going to have a deep conviction and energy to carry this out. Because it's actually generated by a power not your own. Something is going to get a hold of you to want to accomplish something for God's purposes. And you're going to be carried by the Spirit's power to accomplish it. And what that will look like is you're going to be willing to suffer greatly to accomplish this work. You know, Paul, having resolved in the Spirit to go to Macedonia and Achaia and then to Jerusalem. He gets, a lot of people tell him, you shouldn't do that. You're going to die. They're going to kill you. Why would you go to Jerusalem? And he says, I'm willing to die to do this. Leave, kind of leave me alone. I'm willing to die. And so this kind of decision is going to give you the power to push through misgivings and even disagreements from others. 
You're going to be willing to engage and even embrace the afflictions that are going to come with it. So what what does this mean for us? So let me just insert some application. Now, we may not all make these kinds of decisions, but I think, and I kind of wanted to work on this one, but if you're going to be a missionary, if you're going to bring the gospel to difficult places, there's going to be some point where you're going to have to be empowered in this kind of way. There's going to be some point in which the Holy Spirit is going to work in your life and give you this special kind of resolve to give your life to this kind of purpose. And so my encouragement here is to own that so that if God begins to work in you to give you this to you, you run with it, you sense the Spirit's power there, and you don't resist it, and you sense that God is at work, he has an agenda he's on, and you really can give yourself to that. He's using you to accomplish his purposes. And if that's the case, if God is gonna work this way in a unique way in some of our lives, then as a church, we ought to support people who God works in in this way who God is working in this unique way to bring the gospel to the world and, 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 and take on those challenges, we ought to get behind the grace of God at work there. All right, so we see that Paul says that. He says, after passing through Macedonia, I intend to come to you and perhaps stay with you so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. He's saying, I am coming to you and I'm expecting you to help me. God is at work through this journey I'm on. I'm expecting you to get behind me. So let us as a church hear that summons. And then lastly is for application for this point, we ought to anticipate this work in ourselves. And I think the gospel opens the way for this, right? I think this is what is so powerful about what Jesus has done on our behalf is that he has brought us to God. He has made a way for us to be in unity with the God who made the universe. The Holy Spirit is now indwelling us. Church family, that does not only mean you are now forgiven. Don't you think if God is indwelling you, how is he gonna work in you? And so if God rose Jesus from the dead, Paul says, then if our bodies are dead because of sin, how much more is he gonna give life to them through Jesus Christ? He's gonna make these bodies of ours that are dead and don't want anything to do with God, he's gonna give them new life. And you're gonna see you wanting to use this body for his purposes in ways you could never have imagined. That is what it means to be in a relationship with God. We throw around that phrase maybe a little too easily. Do we really understand what it means to be in a relationship with God? how he might use us. I remember before Christ, someone said, do you want to study the Bible? And I thought, who would ever want to study the Bible? Right? And then now, it's my favorite thing to do for God's people is study and teach scripture and help others do the same. What will God do when he unites his spirit to your spirit? 
What is he going to bring what was before dead in sin and now is alive? And so we should anticipate that maybe once or twice in our life, God is going to put it on your heart to do something radical for his glory. Something you never could have seen yourself doing before or after, and there's many afflictions awaiting it, and yet you want to go do it. That is how God works in his people, and we need that to happen. If we're going to advance the kingdom, it's going to be led by people who are willing to do the hard things, go to the hard places, and sacrifice loss along the way. And that is not going to be all of us all the time. So that's why I'm trying to walk this balance of what I think this means. But let us be on the lookout for it. Let us get behind it, as Paul's calling the Corinthians to do. All right, so I took a long time on that one. That was my first point under my first point. I'm going to go faster on the next points. I'm going to move quickly here, but I want to make a f- two more points about what the heart of a uh, missionary is. And so one, there's one big mistake missionaries can make. Let's say you get a missionary, they're fired up, or someone really wants to do, do missions, they re- they're resolved, they're going to go for it. There's one big mistake that could be made. And this was actually illustrated to me very well. I recently read Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte, amazing book. And she, she paints a portrait of a Christian missionary that just grabbed my attention. Because this missionary was uh, a scholar. He was disciplined. He was zealous. He, he wanted to go to India. He was willing to suffer. But she paints a portrait of this man. He had one big flaw. He didn't care about people. He was all about his mission. And you feel the like cringiness of it. When you read it, you're just like, ugh. And I couldn't help but reflect back on myself as a pastor. This is a problem with full-time vocational ministers and, and missions is that we, beco- we become so about our agenda to accomplish our purposes. And we lose sight of the whole calling, which is to love people. And so what we see Paul say here, listen to what he says here. I do not want to see you just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you. He's longing to be with them. Yes, he's got an agenda. He's got somewhere to be, but he also clearly wants to be with them. And so he often, when he is trying to uh, share his credibility and remind the church of that he is actually been given this uh, apostleship from God, he says, he says, because don't you know how I loved you? That's the sign, the way I loved you in truth and, and, and I spoke the word of God to you, but I was also nurturing with you and I have affection for you and I remember you in my prayers. So the heart of a missionary is they must be wired for relationship. And so if you're gonna do missions, you're gonna do full-time vocational work, I think you have to have this intense desire to love people, wired for relationship. And lastly, I've kind of alluded to this, but the heart of a missionary also has to be fresh for the fight. So listen to Paul. He says, I will stay in Ephesus, so I want to go to you, but you know what? You're going to have to put that on pause because a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. You see what Paul is saying here? I have to be here because there's the gospel work, and it's so difficult. That's where missionaries want to be, by the way. Missionaries want to be not only where the gospel is open, but where it's really hard. They're drawn to those places. 
I want to go in there come hell or high water. If it's high water, where's my paddle? If it's hell, where's my sunscreen? (laughs) It's like, bring it on. Paul wants to be there. In fact, often in Paul's travels, he gets stoned, and the brothers are like, you got to go, man. He's like, no, I'm going back in the city. The heart of a missionary is fresh for the fight. We have one of those missionaries here today, Mike Edwards. I want to just give a shout out to his ministry. We support this man and his family. Mike, raise your hand. He's right here in the front. Mike may not know this, but as I was preparing this sermon, I thought almost exclusively of Mike. The resolve that he has, the heart for people, and that he is fresh for the fight. Mike is desiring to build a missionary team to reach the loss of San Francisco City. And I love that. How many of us have moved out of the city? How many of us are like, we like to go visit and go to our favorite restaurant and then leave? Mike is like, I want to move in. I want to reach people with the gospel. Yes, there are churches there doing good work, but there is a need to reach the lost. We are losing a whole generation unless missionaries figure out and help us reach people for Jesus Christ. I mean, even in Campus Crusade for Christ, that was the deal. Yes, there are plenty of churches, but there's open doors to reach college students. They can come to Christ like me, and that's what Mike's heart is. He's saying, I believe, I feel, I don't know if Mike would say he was resolved in the spirit. I would say it. I believe that if I built a team, we could see the lost reached. We got to support missionaries like that. I love Mike's ministry. He is with Reach Global, which is the missionary arm of um, the EFCA, our denomination. So please say hi to him, get to know him, and uh, be cheerful that we support him and need to continue to support him. And so let us be inspired by the work of the Holy Spirit who works in believers to resolve to do missions work. I just want us to understand the spiritual work. The Holy Spirit is at work in some of us to do this kind of work. It is his will, his empowering. And we get to be, we get to be on the front lines. We get to be in the front rows of that. We get to support that, even be um, vessels of it ourselves. And so let us be prepared for God to do that work amongst ourselves. Even in your own life, let us prepare for that. And lastly, as I've been saying, let us be ready to support such missionaries. And so we'll end on this kind of application for us as a church, the hospitality of the church. Paul says this to, Timothy, uh, to the Corinthians, verse 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me for expecting him with the, with the brothers. By the way, not only do we see Paul's, Paul's relational heart for the people he's reaching, but to build team. Paul is, he, the way Paul talks about his team members is the way like I might talk about my wife. Like just so needy of relationship. He, he can't stand to be away from his team for very long. Um, and so I love that Paul is not only a missionary as a lone ranger, he's always bringing people, always building team and affectionate with his team. But notice what he's saying here. He is expecting the local church of Corinthian to play a critical role. You're going to help me along my way and Timothy 
because he's doing the same kind of work. He's a missionary too. He's advancing the gospel around the world. And so Paul just kind of expects that they're going to help and encourage these people. But notice what he says. Don't despise him. Why would he need to say that? Why would he need to say don't despise him? We know Timothy was young, and in other letters, Paul is going to say, don't let anyone despise you because of your youth. I don't think that's what's going on here. That's not, the context is in the context of helping him, supporting him. Don't despise him. And I think that what can happen in the church, the local church, we can get a little cynical. We can kind of look askance at missionaries because they're only here for a short term, and they just want our money. And so how do we feel about people like that? We begin to kind of not want to receive them. Yeah, you don't really care about us. And so Paul is saying, Corinthians, you need to see the big picture. Yes, he's only going to be there for a short time, but do you see what he's trying to accomplish? First of all, he's going to encourage you while he's with you. You ought to receive that, but the gospel is bigger than your church. Jesus said, go to all nations. Is he not the God and creator and redeemer of the world? Are there not cultures and places, as um, Jim showed us, that need gospel presence, need kingdom work, need missionaries to go into closed countries where you can't even be a Christian legally? And we're here in the comfort of our worship. Aren't we eager to send missionaries there? Even though we only see them for a short time. And Paul's saying, don't despise people like that. Don't be cynical towards them. Support them. And so, what does that look like for us and our hospitality towards missionaries? I'll say it like this. God calls the church to generously provide short-term care for the sake of long-term sending. Our series, if you remember, is called Healthy Body. We're trying to be a healthy body. Corinthians is teaching us how to be a healthy body. So I think part of that healthiness is our, our willingness to recognize the need for sending people into the harvest who don't stay with us. Short-term care for long-term sending. That is the hospitality that God calls us to show. Um, And so I think we have to be a church that has a vision for this and celebrates that. um, Is that they're going to come, they're going to receive short-term help. We're going to give them a place to stay. We're going to be mutually encouraged by each other. We're going to fellowship with them even though we know we're we're sending them along the way. I want you to know that we actually have some people working on this right now in our church. We have Violet, one of our deacons who is running our global missions, overseeing our coordination with them. We have Mel Lau, our counsel, who's working with her. Brett, one of our elders. We have people who are, who are trying to help us connect and engage with our missionaries. I hope this sermon softens our heart towards that work. You're going to actually be hearing from some of them in the next few weeks. But beyond our missionaries, this is an attitude Solano has to have for a lot of different kinds of people. How about college students? They're here for a short time, and we want to send them on their way. Let us not despise those 
of our college students, our graduate students. Let us be generous and welcome them in and send them on their way. Yeah, it's not the same where there's a plan to show up and leave. We don't know what's going to happen, but that's God's plan. We know that. We know we live in an area where there's some turnover. Um, and yes, we need people who are called to be here, no matter your job. But inevitably, some of you, God's going to call to leave because of your job or different reasons. There's turnover in the Bay Area. Church staff often has turnover. Your staff and pastors, they come and they go. And so we have to maintain a soft heart towards the people that God brings in for a short time who he is calling us to care for and then send out. And so let us be lavish and generous for this kind of kingdom work. I think it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful work of grace. Because, you know, we, we talked last week that we should support materially our own spiritual workers. So if someone's laboring on your behalf for your spiritual good, you ought to give a return of material benefit to that, right? But how much even more selfless is it to give material benefit to those who are laboring on behalf of someone else's spiritual benefit? who can't really even afford to give that back to them. So I have no doubt that uh, Mike or anyone reaching college students or anyone reaching, some of these, anyone reaching these difficult countries, the people that are reaching can't support those missionaries materially, but we can. We can. If you recall last week, Paul said, out of our abundance, we meet the needs of others. So this is one of the ways that we can act with gospel giving is that our abundance would supply the needs of those empowered and called by God to reach people all over the world. Let me pray. Lord, we want to receive this word as from you that your Holy Spirit has been given to us because of what Jesus did on the cross, that we would know you and be united to you, and that, you, that union is because of your uh, indwelling with us, and the Holy Spirit is real and active, and doesn't control us, but brings to life our own passions, our own vision for your kingdom, and then empowers us to, to make life-changing decisions to do that. Help us to forsake this world and the comforts of this world, and the joys of this world, and embrace the suffering for your kingdom for the sake of eternity and eternal lives, Lord. And and, and even when many of us are not going to be called to missions work directly, would we be a church that supports that, that gets behind it in a way that that recognizes the uniqueness of that calling and the need of that calling, the need for missionaries who come for a short term and then are sent out. Would we be ascending a a church? Do this work in us, Lord. We pray for our missionaries. We lift them up to you. We look forward to seeing them, meeting them, caring for them when they come and when we care for them. Soften our hearts for that work. And let us be generous uh, with our abundance to help them along their way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.